0: This podcast is supported by LinkedIn Learning. We're all at different places in our careers. Some of us are just looking for a job. Others are trying to get promoted, manage a team, or do something new. Wherever you're at, LinkedIn Learning has more than 13,000 courses taught by industry experts to help you succeed in your own way. Anytime, anywhere. It features a vast range of business, tech, and creative skills employers are looking for. Visit linkedinlearning.com slash learn for free to get a month free and to keep learning in all the career moments that matter to you.
1: Hello there, wonderful listeners of Signal. James here. Just wanted to jump in at the start of the show to let you know about a couple of cool things for your diary in the next couple of weeks. If you are in or around the Bristol area, on Monday the 3rd of July we'll be hosting an evening of networking and sharing stories chaired by our sitcom writer and previous guest on the show, James Carey. It's part of our series called Life in Babylon, Stories from the Lion's Den. We're looking at the idea of growing distrust in the media, fake news and all the stuff that we talk about here on the show and the life of a committed Christian working in the media industry and maybe how it can take toll. So if you want to join us on the 3rd of July, you can get tickets for the event over on themedianet.org or from Eventbrite. And if you can't make it to Bristol, then maybe you can make it to Manchester. Monday the 17th of July, Tim Plimming will be hosting the next in our series of events, including guests such as Kate Nicholas, who's the former editor of PR Week, and Dr. Bex Lewis, Senior Lecturer in Digital Marketing at Manchester Met University. So if you want to get involved in either of those events, find out more at themedianet.org. Great stuff. Now on with the show. To the latest episode of signal a podcast from the media net i'm james polter your host and this month we will go behind the scenes as we always do of the latest stories news that's breaking around the world and here in the uk from a christian perspective and i'm joined this month as always by sam hales Hello. And Ruth Jackson. Hello. And we are now going to kind of go through the the stories in what is currently, um, I think, the the hottest day of the year. So apologies (laughs) if you can literally hear the sweat peeling off of us. Um, But we have entered into a nice chilled room here to try and uh, record. So as long as uh, you can hear us now and clearly, then none of us have uh, passed out due to the heat. So we're still here doing well. Um, It's been a funny old kind of month, really. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's hard to kind of sit down and, and do our normal show without kind of, uh, recounting on some of the events of the past couple of weeks. We're recording on Monday the 19th um, of June uh, here in London in the wake of uh, yet more news uh, breaking this morning from Finsbury Park of a revenge attack that's happened in the light of what happened at Grenfell Tower last week which we'll come on to talk about in, in a minute or two and following on from what happened in London Bridge and all of that to say that also an election happened mm-hmm. <laughs> in the past couple of weeks as well um, and so it, it is very difficult to, to start a, for a regular episode the show without kind of acknowledging some of that stuff and I think um, it would only be right for us to say that we uh, send our deepest sympathies to all of those involved mm-hmm. in all of those events uh, that have happened over the past few weeks and those that continue to be affected by them, our prayers are with you so let's talk about um, kind of what's gone on and I think uh, let's start with maybe the events uh, of last week um, we woke up obviously on Wednesday morning to the uh, very tragic news of what's happened at Grenfell Tower uh, the London Tower block that was uh, caught up in uh, quite literally an no um based upon what is estimated at this time to be uh, a fire started uh, by accident but due to uh, the nature of the building um went up in, in flames far faster than anyone could have imagined and the death toll which at this this point continues to rise is, is definitely into uh, the multiple scores um it was a, a very sad event i'm sure mm-hmm. you guys were kind of affected by it as well. well how did you kind of first kind of come to hear about the news in, in on last week and what was your kind of initial reaction to the way it was being reported on
0: um, I So I woke up to the news, I, That's the first thing I do basically is, is check on BBC News and Twitter and Facebook and all of that and it was just a wash everywhere and um, just so tragic and so awful was kind of my gut reaction and then um, obviously given what I do my, my then next reaction was how on earth do you begin to talk about these things with children and with young people and... Um, And it's, I mean, it's almost an impossible question to answer, isn't it? It's such a tragic thing. And and then where on earth is God in all of this? And how do you answer those questions? And yeah, just tragic. Mm.
2: I think it took time for me for it to to dawn on me how serious this was. Um, To begin with, I just thought, that's sad. There's been a fire in London. But Mm. I think I was actually in the newsroom looking at the pictures, um, probably quite late into that morning, actually, when the, the flames were still going and you realise actually, you know, you start to, I know it's tragic, but you start to sort of think about the numbers and do the math a little bit and you realise, hang on a minute, the, these are multiple, multiple casualties. Um, and of course, that then led to a discussion in some quarters as, as to whether there was, I don't want to say a conspiracy, but, you know, are they very slowly leaking the figures to avoid some sort of widespread protest or panic? Um, you know, how bad is this? And even now, as we sit here recording, we, we still don't really know the final mm. death toll. We just know it's going to be very, very high. And I think already it's, it's the worst, you know, fire related disaster in this city for, for goodness knows how long. It's, it's really incredibly tragic to see such widespread loss of life.
0: And James, you were there, weren't you, on the Wednesday?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah,
1: so Wednesday morning when we uh, kind of saw the news, I was sitting in our um, kind of cafe at work and, and saw kind of what was happening and we decided to um, gather up some donations and, and take them down and just kind of go and see what happened. So kind of left work uh, with a couple of colleagues and, and headed down there. Where We first arrived down at the uh, rugby in Portobello where a lot of the centralised kind of command work was doing. Couldn't get any closer after our taxi driver took us all the way from central London out to, to Notting Hill, waved his fare, which was an amazing, gracious sign. And actually him along with a number of other cab drivers decided to hang around and started ferrying people around, which was quite a heartening thing. Um, we ended up actually at St. John's Notting Hill, um, which is one of the, the Church of England churches just a little bit further up from, from Grenfell Tower and the, and the overall estate where the tower is based. Uh, and I have never quite seen actually something as, as astonishing as I did that morning, I think mm. in terms of kind of the, the human reaction. Um, we were gre- you know, greeted, well, I suppose greeted as a very loose uh, interpretation of what happened by a couple of the um, clergy that were on staff there. A number of them had actually left to go down to uh, St. Clement's Church, where a lot of the action had kind of taken place that morning and also at the uh, at the rugby in Portobello and we, we were basically kind of walking into what felt very much like the a disaster response mm. kind of mode, um, but with very little people knowing kind of what to do and what was going on. So we tried to kind of muck in and coordinate. And I would say probably by about 12.30, we were inundated by donations. 300 hot meals had been delivered by local restaurants. Um, people from all walks of life backgrounds and neighbouring, both neighbouring to Notting Hill and much further away, had kind of come into the area to, to bring donations. Uh, and it was quite an amazing thing. Mm. It was quite an amazing thing. Um, And it wasn't until later on in the day until we kind of headed down back into the centre at about two o'clock and to kind of see what was going on. Uh, I went down to kind of talk to the uh, team um, that were coordinating things and spoke to one of the deputy superintendents to kind of let them know that one of the churches had been set up as a centre. But we needed people to be sent there. Mm. Um, And it wasn't much later until the afternoon where I think people actually began to start being sent up to kind of go and collect uh, different items. What was quite sad is that we met a number of the families who were arriving who didn't know where people were. They had lost loved ones, some people who knew they had lost loved ones and others who just didn't know where where relatives and and friends were. Um, And the sudden outpouring of kind of charitable kind of giving and and hospitality from others was, you know, visibly overwhelming Mm. for them. Um, So yeah, it was it was an amazing uh, thing to witness in a, a number of ways obviously incredibly tragic in terms Mm. of what happened but um, I think as we've seen now in recent days since the the event happened the response um, of the church and the response um, of the media's portrayal of the church Mm. I think has been particularly fascinating Mm. Um, and the light that's kind of been shone on the efforts that kind of comes out from uh, churches and organizations of all different faith backgrounds when something like this happens that the the kind of the the human spirit really kind of rally in them yeah
0: and did you see media units and teams and journalists Absolutely, down
1: there. yeah. So it was, uh, we um, kind of met a number of the teams from ITN Sky News as well. Sky came up to kind of broadcast from uh, from the church where we were setting up. I also helped kind of guide a couple of the, um, the BBC Worldwide reporters around to go and find a couple of the clergy that they wanted to speak to as well, including the Bishop of Kensington, um, Graham Tomlin who's done a lot of the media work in the past couple of days, obviously, in a, you know, kind of the event happening in his diocese as well. Um, I think that's been a, you know, a really fascinating thing to see actually. That the, the media were very Quick to talk to mm. the faith based leaders of the churches, the synagogues, and the mosques that are in the local area, um, and actually put them front and center and mm. show them as being kind of the, the great, you know, kind of ambassadors of community that they are. And I think that was, uh, you know, again, something that if if you can find the kind of light in the darkness of these kind of situations, uh, that's, that has to be one of them. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's it's one of those things that we kind of leave out there. I suppose, how have you guys seen, obviously, particularly in the light of this the past couple of days, you have seen a number of these kind of media figures. Church figures um, kind of become very present in the wake of it. Mm. How have you kind of felt that the uh, the kind of church has been betrayed in the answer of that, and also that, you know, kind of particularly those who've been at the centre of it? If you look at, mm. like I say the Bishop of Kensington, the Archbishop of Canterbury, again, uh, you know, very prominent in those. What's been your kind of reaction to that? Sure. Well, response?
2: I think, you know, as someone who works in, in the Christian media, I'll be honest and say sometimes there's a temptation to crowbar in a Christian angle to a story that there just sometimes isn't a Christian angle. We have to be honest about that. Whereas with this particular event, I felt like. There was a very strong and very legitimate Christian angle on the story because churches really were the first responders um, th- they were opening their doors at 4am and letting people in and as, you, as you've as you just testified sort of first hand account of going around these churches and taking donations in and helping people I think it was a wonderful reminder not just for Christians but hopefully for wider society as they watch the BBC and watch Sky a reminder that Christians are at the heart of our communities indeed something like the Church of England as far as I can tell is, is deliberately structured so that it is in every community mm. with the sort of parish and diocese you know system yeah. if you like um so it was a wonderful reminder i think for people who aren't churchgoers that actually the church is there to serve you the church is there to help you whatever background you are and where terrible things like this happen christians can Um, you know just because of some of the structures be the first people there and uh, show Jesus love in really obvious and outward and practical ways so I thought it's fantastic
0: the ways the way that everyone has responded has been a a really beautiful thing and I think that's not just about the fire it's about the Manchester attacks and you know the terrorist attacks in London recently as well and I think um, I mean hopefully it will kind of give people I've, I've been hearing some brilliant stories I've got a lot of um, Christian friends who are in West London churches and they all held really moving services on Sunday and actually they said that their churches were flooded with people and I guess the fear in those situations is that people um, t- sort of, you know, if they were ever interested in, in Christianity and in religion they suddenly start questioning it and turn away from it, um, but actually I think what a lot of people have found is that you know, when there are no questions, when stuff is so difficult, it's almost like where else can I go? Um, and that's what they've been fi- finding and I've heard some amazing stories of people coming to these services becoming christians you know doing all sorts of Mm. um, things that they would never have thought to do and and that doesn't in any way justify how awful the situation is but actually i think if um if people can experience light within that darkness then that's that's a really brilliant thing i mean
2: i'm reminded you know following on from that of tim keller um, in an interview he did with me once explaining how across New York after 9-11 church attendance dramatically increased because after a terrible disaster like that people do start to ask deeper questions they do start to think is there more to life than this where is my life heading and I'm sure as Ruth says they have you know we all have legitimate questions about where is God and suffering as well I'm not diminishing that but it does seem at times of particular disaster and trial that people do will come to us as Christians and come to churches and and want answers and I think you know you've mentioned Graham and I would echo he's been an incredible presence Mm -hmm. in in the media Um, actually I was on Premier Christian Radio just doing a a paper review and um, my paper review got moved back obviously because this was the morning of the Um, of us waking up to this terrible disaster and so I heard Graham on air just before me and he was absolutely fantastic and then that was at 7.30 in the morning I got home into the evening 7.30 at night he was live on the BBC and you know all day long and it wasn't just that he was doing media of course he was meeting people he was getting involved practically um, you know and he's since written a blog and all sorts and he's just been working so so hard to represent um, you know the the best of the church to represent Jesus and and his presence in our communities I just thought was a wonderful example Absolutely I
1: think the church in particular became it often becomes the kind of default one of focus um mm. in these situations i think that the infrastructure really held up very very well when i was there on on wednesday and in the, in the subsequent days i think that actually though the church across the board seems to have responded to the, these events not just at grenfell but also the other things in, in a phenomenal way i saw this morning on facebook gerald Coates um from from pioneer talking about the services that they held um down there this weekend and the prayers for the uh, fire engine workers mm, yeah. you know, for the the police service you know literally bringing tears to the eyes of many mm of these, um, you know, kind of non-Christian people and just the, the presence of God really kind of coming through very strongly in, in this whole incident, which I suppose is the best that we can ask for um, in these situations. Um, obviously on the back of that we've experienced a number of things like terrorist attacks in the past couple of days and we're, you know, kind of this morning as I as we record, um, you know, kind of more is coming out about the attacks at the uh, the mosque in London, in uh, Infantry Park this morning. It, it continues to be a rolling saga and we'll continue to come back to this topic I'm sure on the show in the in Weeks and and uh, months to come, but suffice to say that we'll leave it there and say thank you so much to all of you for your prayers mm. and continue to pray for these people. Continue to pray for also the journalists that have to um, stand up to these events. You know, for I felt incredibly sorry for a number of them who had been there since the early hours in the morning and having to hear atrocity mm. and st- horrendous story after story uh, throughout the course of the day. And you could see it on the faces of many of the media that were there. That by the afternoon they were also um, you know very emotionally overwhelmed. Mm. And I think we must continue to pray for those of them uh in the media that are yeah, kind of having to deal with these things on a, on a daily basis so we'll leave with that story and turn to one of the other what we would otherwise be talking about probably all episode of the rather <laughs> large event that's happened which is the overwhelmingly surprising results of uh the recent election uh it seems uh Unbelievable to think that just over ten days ago, um, we went to the polls, and Theresa May, uh, going into the election, expecting a increased, sizeable majority, came out with losing, mm. uh, you know, in double digits in terms of seats, and the Labour Party making significant gains. Um, yeah, you know, it might be hard to think back that far, guys. <laughs> it feels but,
0: like forever but, ago. Um,
1: yeah, you know, kind of the reaction. Yeah, uh, you know, what was your initial reaction when you kind of found that news a couple of weeks ago, and and how you kind of been looking at the reporting in the past? couple of weeks
0: i think it sort of seemed to reflect the atmosphere of the country quite well in that everyone was a little bit confused not really sure about all sorts of things and i think you know a parliament that is a minority government and um and people losing and and people gaining but not really sure kind of you know not an overwhelming win by any means for anyone Mm. i think that kind of seemed to me to sum up the general atmosphere of mm. of what was going on in the country and I think yeah, it all seemed a bit confused. Yeah,
2: it? <laughs> uh, It's so confused, actually, that you have both sides, and Labour and Conservatives, both claiming victory. Yeah. So you have... <laughs> I think I think because expectations, you know, you have to admit, even if you are a Labour supporter, expectations were very low, really. I mean, so many people were saying Jeremy Corbyn's unelectable and similar things like that. I think even Labour supporters thought, well, you know, Theresa May's called this snap election. She's clearly quite confident. Um, things probably won't go that well for us. But, of course, Labour did much better than expected. And I think because of that because expectations were so low and actually they did okay. Uh, a lot of people in the Labour Party are basically saying this is a victory. But then you have the Conservatives saying, well, hold on a minute. I mean, we are forming a government, so mm. clearly we won. Um, but then on the Conservative side, they were clearly expecting to increase their majority, and they really didn't. And frankly, I don't think they deserved to. I mean, like Ruth was saying, it was... Um, Theresa May's campaign was was lacking. And to bring in the sort of journalism element here, what was frustrating for me, both both as, as a you know private citizen and also as a journalist, was her absolute refusal to answer the question... I just, you know, I mean, politicians. We all know politicians sort of speak in sound bites, and they have their very carefully um, prepared um, sort of messes they want to get across. But I just think it was particularly obvious with Theresa May. She did a particularly bad job of answering the question. It just felt like she wasn't even trying at times. Whereas some other politicians, they have their sound bites, but they'll at least be trying to have a conversation with you whilst getting the message in. Whereas, you know, people have already, perhaps a little bit unfairly, used this language about Theresa May being a bit of a robot. But, but I do just wonder if it, maybe I wasn't the one who felt that, and other voters. Just thought, actually, I can't really get behind Theresa May, and so much of the campaign was about her personality. And I think a lot of people looked at the way she was very robotic and the way she didn't answer questions, and thought, I'm just, just not sure if I, yeah. if I can vote for you. And
1: I think that the, so to, let's kind of turn to Theresa May, because I think the coverage there on her has been very, very fascinating to watch. Mm. As I, I'm sure this will be one of those kind of case studies in kind of media university courses in in kind of decades to come about how she has been treated by the media, because obviously we went from this position of massively high opinion poll ratings, very seen as very favorable, very strong and stable, um, as much as she wanted to kind of talk about it. And I think we have come so far from that uh, in the past couple of weeks. Um, Tim Montgomery, uh, writing in the, in the Standard today, um, is uh, kind of recounting a little bit of kind of what's happened with, with May. And he uses this um, kind of quote Miss May's flat footed response to the Grenfell Tower tragedy was not just further proof that she's no good at politics, it was another moment of not rising to the occasion as a leader with vision would do. And I think that that is actually a very uh, good summary, really, of the kind of way in which she. Is now being portrayed and perceived mm. in the media. There seems to have been this kind of idea—the roboticness, the kind of lack of compassion that mm. she seems to have shown for a number of these situations—has come through very strongly. And the media seems to be responding with the same lack of compassion that she's showing to yeah. other people towards, towards her. her. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a real tragedy that we've kind of we've politicized, you know, the Grenfell Tower thing because that is just a really sad situation. And in some senses, we should not be politicizing that. But on the other hand, actually, as a politician so so much, it, I, I feel like the country has shifted uh, a bit and actually it's probably the same in, in America as well in that people probably don't care so much about your policies as they care about you and what you're like as a person and, and certainly kind of our generation, I think people mm. are more wanting to get behind a person. We've become
1: far more presidential.
0: Exactly and I think actually, um, yeah as Sam's alluded to, in, in the campaign and in the lead up to it actually perhaps people you know, her campaign didn't put her forward as a kind of compassionate person. I'm not saying she's not like that, but I'm just saying that's probably kind of the overarching thing that came through. And I think, as you say, that's what has come through in the, uh, in the, in the sub- subsequent events, whether that's true or not. And, mm. I, and I think probably partly um, she hasn't helped herself there. Mm. But I wonder if also, it's kind of a popular thing to then, you know, if someone, like hitting someone when they're down, isn't yeah. it? And
2: my, my concern is, I wonder if we've politicised grief yeah. So so what's now expected is well as prime minister you should go down there you should meet people and we want to see you cry. Yeah. We want to see you mm. show emotion. And I'm just not sure if that's a healthy position for us to be in as a society. Now, now obviously, it didn't look good. Obviously, Jeremy Corbyn, you know, by going down there... And I'm sure his reaction was very genuine. And I'm not saying that he was Certainly hyping up contrast, for the media or yes, anything. It's, it's so, so, surely, so I agree. Jeremy Corbyn looked better. But shouldn't we also be asking the question, what do we want from our politicians? Should this be some sort of competition as to who can be seen to be grieving... Or or should we be asking the policy questions perhaps and putting those front and center of, well, to be honest with you, like James just alluded to, there were good Christian people down there and others who were listening, who were helping, do we need the Prime Minister to physically be there or do we need the Prime Minister to be setting policies so stuff like this can't happen again? Now clearly those two things aren't mutually exclusive and you could argue yeah. that, that both should happen but I do get slightly concerned when you know you sort of contrast Corbyn and May and say well clearly May isn't compassionate and Corbyn is because I just don't think it's as simple as well, that.
1: Well I think that it's also telling, that yeah, we've seen the story break I think a couple of days ago now of um that Theresa May has been seeking private counsel from the Archbishop of Canterbury and yeah, kind of prayerful counsel and that strikes me a little bit, yeah, maybe that is a somewhat of an explainer that you know the way in which that she interprets these things the way in which she handles these things is to try and exhibit that strong stability Mm. in public but actually in private she is seeking counsel and that she her faith is kind of very real to her she's often uh, you know kind of spoken about her faith and uh, I think there's no reason to think that she's politicising her faith in fact she's handled it kind of very well in many respects but I think this lack of kind of visible compassion you're right is that the you know when faced with some of these stories that we've had to deal with in the past few days um, and weeks and you know the consequences constant kind of rolling news coverage of people grief-stricken being doorstepped in the immediate aftermath of these things happening. Um, You want to see the the political reaction Mm. to not only be one of stability and we're going to solve things, but if it comes across as too much like that, it looks like you're hardened. Mm. And I think that that kind of desire for compassion and that desire for kind of empathy is something that people are really crying out for and they just weren't seeing with her.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going back to what I said about the sound bites, I think it's the same issue. She was speaking sound bites, and that, that doesn't make you look... Compassionate doesn't make you look like a real human being, and and actually I would argue part of the reason why people like even like Boris Johnson, even Nigel Farage, they actually often get quite high approval ratings because they don't appear at least to be speaking in sound bites. They appear to just answer the question. They're not afraid actually to show a bit of emotion. Um, yeah. Whereas yeah, Theresa May hasn't hasn't come across How, so personally. However,
1: as we've seen that that can backfire for you <laughs> as well. So yeah. obviously the <laughs> other kind of main upshot of the recent election result is also that Tim Farron has now stood down as the leader of the Liberal Democrats, and I think you know for him him trying to kind of play out those faith based opinions in public is also kind of in a case of how maybe not to have handled that situation in, in kind of hindsight i think we spoke about him a couple of months ago when these first kind of things go uh, kind of came to the fore and i think that we all felt you know kind of well done him for trying to kind of live out his faith publicly in such a way but it seems to have very much backfired on him unfortunately mm-hmm. in the in the recent wake of um, you know kind of the election result and then obviously particularly these issues around kind of gay sex and, and marriage that were you know became really to muddy the waters of the message that he was trying to get across and has now stood down. You know, do we think that that's a shame has he done the right thing? Has he, you know, kind of just crumbled under the pressure? I mean, like, you know, what would we have expected otherwise?
0: I think it's really sad and I think you know for years we've had amazing Christians in politics of all parties and they've been able to kind of maintain their strong Christian beliefs and their strong political opinions and work across parties with other people of completely different political persuasions but kind of all with one purpose in mind which is kind of to see the country in in the best way that it can be and to see Christ glorified and I think that was clearly what he was aiming for and I think I don't know whether it's the fault of the media, whether it's the fault of humans, whether it's I mean, it's such a kind of messy situation. But I feel like partly I I, I do think we as kind of citizens are a bit to blame in that we just constantly want to ask the really annoying questions and the nagging questions. And I just think give the poor guy a break. Mm Do you know what I mean? Like, why was he constantly badgered on, on one issue in particular?
2: Absolutely. And,
0: and why did we not just leave <laughs> yeah. him alone? I, th-
2: I think the worrying thing for me is that he clearly voted in favour of LGBT rights. He voted in favour of gay marriage. And yet for the media, that wasn't enough. What the media wanted to know was, what are your personal, private, theological views on the issue specifically of gay sex? So it, it wasn't enough, apparently, for, for, for some journalists, that he had a better LGBT rights voting record than our Prime Minister... They wanted to go into his personal thought life even though he was saying, look, my faith is, is is secondary to that. And actually, I think it's important to remember Tim Farron's reasoning here because I think at one point in his recent political career, it, it might have appeared like he was trying to have it both ways and keep his liberal friends happy and also keep his Christian friends happy. But bear in mind that Tim Farron's whole philosophy is that although he is a strong evangelical Christian, he doesn't feel the need to be the moral police and tell other people mm. how to live their lives. And that's why I think he would he would have voted for things like gay marriage, although he may personally you know, dis agree with, uh, with with gay relationships so I think that was always a very fine line to tread and th- there were points in his career where Christians were very upset with him because they wanted him to take a sort of what they would view as a firmer stance on on the issues of homosexuality but clearly liberals weren't happy either because it became this thought police thing of it doesn't matter that you vote for gay marriage you all know what's going on inside of your head so I felt incredibly sorry for him and, and actually I think speaking as a Christian you have to say he's done the right thing he clearly felt forced that he had to then make a decision between his politics and his faith in jesus and you know we we say as christians we put god first this is where the rubber hits the road are you going to put god first over your entire political Career. Tim Farron has felt forced to, to make that decision, and I think we have to say he's made the right one, even though it's it's sad that it's come to this.
1: Whether whether right or wrong, or whether you agree or not, I'm sure that you've got opinions on this, so you can let us know what you think. Just let us know on Twitter. You can find us on at the net and use hashtag Signal. We'd love your thoughts on this. And you know what, we can definitely say from all of these topics is that we've certainly seen in the past couple of weeks, you know, the stories of faith and in culture very much rise mm. to the surface far more than I think we've done in recent years. And mm. um, I think that that makes A really interesting environment for us to live in. One of the um, topics that we're going to be discussing later on is recommendations, as we always do in the playlist coming up after our feature interview, which I will introduce to you now. This month, we are talking with Toby Olajimi. She is the founder of W Talk, the new network for women in faith, and is bringing new different types of faith and culture through podcasting, through new TV shows on uh, YouTube as well, and through a variety of different formats. And I got to speak to her earlier this week to talk about how she first came up with the idea and why she got started and also why it's so important to bring a more diverse view of women, faith, from all different backgrounds into popular culture. So this is Toby Jimmy.
3: And one day I was sitting down and I was watching the Kardashians. <laughs> and um, I, it sounds very Christian, but I, I just felt, God say to me that that's your number one competitor. And I thought, mm, number one competitor? Like, I work for a law firm in the city, like... I don't quite get how I have no aspirations to be Kim Kardashian (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then as time went on I began to realize that actually faith being a massive part of who I am and my life and what I do when I speak I realized that actually I wasn't part of the mainstream conversation and the Kardashians were the people driving culture they were the people driving mainstream conversations and then when I started to look more at media as a whole and I started to look at from blogging to traditional media I didn't see much faith and I didn't see much content directed to faith and for women and women's stories. I didn't see that. And so when I speak at an event and I'm saying, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, like, you know, you can do anything that God calls you to be, you know, and I'm saying all of these things and you go to these wonderful events and people are, you know, empowered and pumped up and then they go back and they engage with culture in which we're not having a conversation with culture. We haven't engaged with that culture. So when they leave the events, or they leave the wonderful conferences for which churches and Christians do so well, and then they go back to mainstream culture, our presence isn't known like it should be. And I think at that moment, if I'm honest, W Talk was born because I thought, well, I want to see at that table.
1: And so you talk about this idea of. Mainstream culture, and this—you're obviously coming from though a faith perspective. So, where do you see those two kind of melding, or what's that kind of? How do you strike that happy balance between this, you know, much more culturally based stuff, looking at kind of content that is relevant, that's speaking to the mainstream, you know, whether it's the Kardashians or anyone else. Yeah. Um. And how do you balance that with the content that you're intending to make around kind of faith and bringing that faith discussion into what is something that is looking to the outside more mainstream?
3: Yeah, I think that. The principles of Christianity are, I would argue, basic human needs. So belonging and love and forgiveness and learning to love yourself and love others. You know, mercy, justice, social justice, you know, mourning with those who mourn, being the voice to the voiceless. These are things that at the center of who Jesus was. um, He was an activist. He, you know, showed mercy to us. He loved us with an He loved us with an everlasting love. He died for us while we were yet still sinners. When I say all these things to people who have never stepped into a church, they're like, "What? Loved us with an everlasting love? Sin? Sin? What? Like hell? That's what they see." But actually, when I talk about belonging and when I talk about justice, when I talk about mercy, this is a language that they all understand. And I love TV. Like I'm definitely a TV person who binges a lot of TV. So for when I'm watching the Gilmore Girls, sometimes I see (laughs) those underlying values. So what we want to do is we want to create content, whether it be a devotional, because you actually want to get deep into the scripture, whether you're listening to a podcast, um, where we're just having a chat, whether you're watching a series that we've created. We want to underpin our content with those values and we want to show real life. I think that life has its ups and its downs. It isn't a straight line. You can have the lightest of days and you can have the darkest of days. But in both of both of those days, faith is still relevant. And we want to create content and share stories that show both of those days. Throw our faith up at our upper gate and see if it sticks. And I believe that it will. Um, it's about telling stories. That's what it's about. Um, I always say to people that, you know, if Jesus had come down from, from heaven and began to speak, about the heavenlies, people would, wouldn't have got it. So he sat down and he came to our level and he spoke in parables and parables that are, and used the lingua and colloquial language and the, the words of those times. And that's essentially what W taught wants to do in relation to, to, to womanhood. What happens when you get to 35 years old and you're still single and you desperately want a husband? What happens when you're married and you've been married for 15 years and you, you're still unable to conceive? You know, these sorts of things. I believe God cares about these things. And it's about us having sharing those stories, but through the lens of faith.
1: I suppose so often lots of kind of women's focused content does end up in that kind of relational space all too often, but you're also looking at content that's going to tackle women in business, women in culture and entertainment. How, Why is that important to kind of bring that different aspect of this kind of dialogue for women into that place so that it doesn't just end up about... I need a husband because that so, can often so often be the the uh, the thing that's thrown at Christian conferences yeah. for women or Christian books for women. You know, often, always ends up in just about their relationship with the with with men. Yeah. And what's the balance there in also bringing in that business and culture side to things?
3: Well, I think actually mainstream culture is doing a really great job right now in relation to women empowerment. Um, you know, you've got the likes of CEO of um, Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, writing books like Lean In. Um, you know, and all of this stuff has resulted in a shift in culture. The fact, you know, the fact of the matter is we have more and more women who are, who, well, I don't want to say more and more like this, they didn't before, but certainly there's a shift in culture in regards to more and more women are interested in their careers. They're interested in business, they're starting businesses, whether they're stay at home moms, they've got a business on the side, or whether they're, they're trying to make partner of, of a law firm. And so our content, again, is dr- driven around having those conversations, conversations about what it's like to be an independent woman, what it's like to have a female boss, what it's like to have a male boss, What's it, what it's like to, you know, make a mistake at work. We had a podcast recently about crying at work um, and whether it's right to cry at work, whether it's professional to cry at work, you know, basic conversations, but actually really important ones. And again, sharing those stories around what that's like. The free sixty, if you like, um, look at look at women, and I can do that, I suppose, because that's why I'm living. You know, I've got I've got a startup with W Talk. I've got am running a small business. You know, I've got a 16 month old boy. <laughs> I'm married. Um, I'm I'm speaking a lot, so I'm balancing all of these things. What does that look like, and where does faith play into it? Um, sharing those, whether it's in a scripted format where it's got nothing to do with me, and it's if you like based on someone else. Or whether it, we've taken it directly from scripture, which I believe is all in there. Um, everyone talks about the Proverbs thirty-one woman, if you like. But the Proverbs thirty-one woman was was a businesswoman, and so how does she do it? What was her thought process in it? How can she get to the next level, if you like, and succeed without compromising her faith, which is all too much, which culture tells us to do. I'm um, talking about stuff about being being having integrity, turning up on time. You know, having these sorts of conversations around finances um and putting it in a format that is palatable and competitive for the global market
1: and talking about format you have come at w talk kind of all guns blazing on all fronts podcasts mm-hmm. devotionals website tv series um, you know what's the intention behind that? Why do you need to kind of bring it into that diverse range of things? And one of the interesting things you've also done with all of those formats is set up a, a paywall structure and a payment plan for people to actually engage with this content. Do you think it's worth paying that six ninety nine a month? What What makes it that that the model that you're going to succeed with?
3: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's worth it. Wants <laughs> to <you> sign up? <laughs> um, I think there's there's several things to that. There's several um, layers to your question, um, James. I think first of all we we've, we've come with all guns blazing because, as I said, women these days we're on the move. You know, um, we want to be a, we want people to be able to interact with our content irrespective of where they are, what season they are in their life. And so, if you are working round the clock, you may not have time to sit down and watch or, or binge, binge if you like one of our series, but you could listen to a podcast on the way to work. Um, you might have a bit more time, um, if you're a little bit more a lady of leisure, <laughs> if you like, um, to engage in a devotional way, able to get a highlighter out and highlight and really, you know, take more, um, take more in the Word of God. Either way, we want to be able to create content that is working towards our market, which actually is a wide range of people from business owners to professional women to stay-at-home mums. Um, so that, that's the reason that we have so many different formats in that regard. And also because if you look at the media lands, the landscape as it, as it is, what's amazing with the Netflixes of this world and the Amazons is, you know, the traditional media model has changed. It's evolved. No more do we do we have to have a program that has been written, you know, and and designed for the ad model where it's 30 minutes with an ad break in the middle you know we don't actually have to do that the internet has freed that up for us so we are we are fully trying to be if you like at the forefront of that change and take advantage of the fact that now we can create content in completely different formats we've just written a scripted podcast um based on a biblical story dramatized podcast and it's great because you can it's a story it's a, it's a series you can listen to it as, as you go why not and the internet's allowed us to do that um we introduced the pay model though for two reasons one because we wanted to say no to the advertiser as i said you know women empowerment is very, very much on trend and so because women empowerment is on trend we had lots of people engaging with us you know off the back saying you know larger brands saying great we would love to do um and add partnership with you but can you dim down the faith aspect Mm. you know um it's not palatable to everybody can you kind of remove the christ and jesus aspect to what you're doing we love the women empowerment we love that you're talking about um independent women you know we love that you're talking about crying at work as you were um but we the jesus bit's a bit too heavy if you can cut down on the devotionals and that's actually not something we can do because that's what we believe is part of our USP is to create content via faith, entertainment via faith. So with the with the saying no to the advertiser and not being the slaves to the advertiser means that we can create content that's free and um, free in ter- when I say free I mean free, free in terms of honest, free in terms of based on scripture, our audience can pay for that directly. And we are not a slave to an advertiser. If the advertiser wants to advertise, you are more than welcome to advertise on our free content. But if you don't, we're not going to have to shut up shop. Um, so that's one. Two, I think in regards to the investment of the content, I think that the content is worth it. I think in the in the days of Netflix, it's really hard to say that <laughs> um, you're creating this paywall. Because if you log on to Netflix, you know they've been backed by a venture capitalist and they have brought up they brought up hollywood (laughs) and they're purchasing shows left right and center but what? so we don't say that we are netflix competitor absolutely not we say that 6.99 is if you like an investment in your faith where you're able to grow in faith but in an alternative format
1: well toby thanks so much for telling us a little bit more about w talk today and what if people want to find out more about the site or get involved where can they go
3: yeah fantastic i mean so you'll find us we're at the wtalk.com so that's the wtalk.com um so yeah engage and you'll find me um toby olujimi i'm at toby speaks out on twitter and toby olujimi on facebook
1: and we're back thank you to Toby Jimmy from W Talk and you can check out more about them by going to thewtalk.com and follow links there or you can find them in your iTunes app or on YouTube so speaking of cool things to go listen to watch and read uh, it's time for the playlist and things that we recommend and we're going to have a bit of a kind of throwback Thursday even though it's Monday special uh, (laughs) by talking about some of the stuff that you may have missed things that you maybe would like to come back to stuff that's been around for a while but hey it's now there's always time to jump in in this kind of Modern world of uh, box sets and podcasts, there's never a bad time to get started on something, even if you've missed it. So, I will start with Mr. Hales with a couple of things that he has on the list. Uh, what have you got for the playlist? Well, I've this been in- throwback-y month
2: <laughs> well, i'll start with the current one the current one is uh is wonder by hillsong united it's the new hillsong united record really really great um new album i particularly recommend so will i in brackets 100 billion times just a amazing sort of hymn-like it's really great track deep lyrics um really i get quite emotional listening to it if I'm, if I'm being honest there you go you know that's uh sounds naturally welling up right now i am i'm am <laughs> just thinking about it it's, it's a fantastic record the throwback one is something that I hope everyone will have already watched because it is superb. If you work in the media, you basically have to watch this. It's called The Newsroom. Uh, It's by Aaron Sorkin. Um, DVD box set. came out a few years ago. um, No, I was watching
1: it on DVD, Sam.
2: Oh, that's true, that's true. I was I was given. You can go and download it. For I was given
0: VHS. <laughs> oh, all right, all right.
2: I was look. I was given the DVD box set for Christmas, and my wife, who also works in the media, hadn't seen it before. So I'm watching it with her, and she's loving it as well. So it's it's nice to rewatch it with someone who hasn't seen it before, and she's really enjoying it. And and actually, just the just quickly, the the reason I'm particularly enjoying it is we started watching it just after one of the recent sort of terrible terrorist attacks that happened and obviously I need to preface this by saying any suffering that I'm going through as a journalist is in no way comparable to the people who are truly at the heart of these events but even so when you work in a newsroom and you're surrounded by this stuff mm. and it's not like you can just switch off your phone and ignore the media like other people in other jobs could do like you are surrounded by this stuff 24-7 as part of your work life I actually got home just feeling a bit rubbish about being a journalist because I just I don't enjoy being surrounded by bad news at mm. all and um, there was something just quite uplifting about watching This fictional series of how journalism can be done well and actually the importance of it and why our jobs do matter as journalists and the sort of you know, more of the sort of redeeming qualities. And if you've seen the newsroom you'll you'll know it's it is quite a positive look at our profession and what our profession can be when it's at its best. So I found I find it quite inspiring on that level. But Sam,
0: that's why you're a good journalist because I think if you got home (laughs) and you weren't sad
2: then actually I mean obviously there's a
0: there's a line, isn't there, you can't cry about every sad story. But at the same time, the reason you're a good journalist is because you hear a really sad story and it makes you really sad because you're a human being. And actually, uh, that's part of why you tell it well, because you need to get that across. You can't just be hard-nosed and kind of tell someone's story in a really cold, Mm. factual way because there are humans at the heart of these stories and actually it's heartbreaking what's happening. So I think that's a really important thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the newsroom is a really good example, though, of where you do see that kind of like the portrayal of what happens when you kind of like a journalist breaks and sees the kind of the, the wood for the trees and wants to speak their mind. Yeah. Uh, but there's an opening seg- segment in the in the show where uh, Jeff Daniels is kind of on a panel event talking about kind of uh, the, the media and where it is and kind of talking about the kind of state of journalism and politics at the time and he basically just goes off the cliff edge in terms of kind of a rant that then gets captured on you know video, it goes viral on Facebook and on YouTube and it just kind of that whole media swirl where, you know, the, someone who is talking about the media becomes a subject of it and it's just a really fascinating take. So, Yes, a little bit old. It's been around for a couple of seasons, but Sorkin's work is right. some of the best television you ever going to go after. Second
2: time round, it's just as enjoyable. It really is. So it's well, it's well worth rewatching, in my view. Okay, on I,
1: VHS. I, <laughs> do you remember the time where you would actually have to rewind the VHS oh, yeah. tape, and you would kind of get, you know, kind of sit down? There will be people listening to this that I'm pretty sure will have never experienced this now, which is just
0: you'd have to pause m- it for the dates
1: adverts. M- dates us.
0: If you were recording off the telly.
1: Yeah, recording for the telly, pause for the adverts. But also, if you ever kind of got to that point where you wanted to watch your favourite movie and you put the VHS tape in and you're like oh it's Is not it been end? re-round and I've got to wait now for that kind of moment. It's like, God, my impatience clearly in the YouTube generation has been uh, it, you know, kind of well tamed by having to live through the the basically terrors of VHS tracking. <laughs> okay um, so on from uh, box set uh, number one to a slightly more recent and current box set with box set number two and uh, Ruth what are your recommendations this month?
0: I am going to recommend House of Cards um, again just because it feels kind of quite topical I'm not not saying that any of our leaders are like uh, are like Frank from uh, House of Cards. But and to it- be
1: clear, you are referencing the current. House of Cards on Netflix with Kevin Spacey, not the BBC original from several Sorry, decades ago. Yes, yes.
0: Which <laughs> that, is did come out
1: v- that is on VHS. That is on VHS. I think only, only uh, available on VHS. Yeah. Totally.
0: Um, but the first, I mean, the, when I watched the first few series, I felt like I learned, um, it was a bit like watching The West Wing. I felt like I sort of learned so much about American politics, but wasn't quite sure what was factual and what wasn't. So it kind of <laughs> made me go and look at everything. And, and through that process, I felt like I learned quite a lot about American politics. Please um, don't
1: base your entire political <laughs> understanding of the US political <laughs> operation by House of Cards. But yes, good point carry on
0: um, but yeah I, I think it's I think it's really interesting it's, it's kind of obviously a satirical look on um, on politics and, and government and, and all of that but it is it's just really interesting
1: yeah, and I suppose this particular series, if you've not without giving any spoilers, if you're up to date, but I think is super fascinating in terms of the commentary on what's happening currently mm. in the U.S. in mm. terms of their electoral cycle. The idea about fake news. There's an entire sequence midway through where they begin to the the uh, the Underwoods, the the yeah, kind of the the president and vice president um, respectively, begin to try and stir up, kind of actively stir up. Um, incidents of kind of terror and fear and fear generate fear mongering to kind of lead up to the election to potentially kind of skew the vote and I think that is a really fascinating Mm. kind of commentary, particularly if you consider that this was being written and recorded in the process while this was all happening in kind of public life. It's an amazing kind of uh, commentary on that. So uh, that's definitely one to kind of go and look at. And if you want a slightly more factual understanding of what's actually <laughs> oh! happening in the media, <laughs> rather than kind of uh, Ruth's Hollywood oh, yeah. lensing on it, then um, I would thoroughly recommend, this is also something that's been around for a little kind of while to kind of uh, play into our theme here of uh, you know kind of some of the throwback stuff you might have missed, but a show, um, a podcast called On The Media from WMYC. if you are obviously working in journalism or you've got an interest in the media you probably wouldn't be listening to this show unless you unless you <laughs> did um, so why not have some more of that so I recommend uh, on the media from WMYC. and um, it's hosted by Brooke Gladstone and it is features all different sorts of takes on the media currently um, but not just from a US perspective but a kind of global view um, I would really recommend uh, the most recent episode the trouble with reality from back in May go back and have a listen to that um, which kind of goes the, uh, behind this idea of smoke and mirrors fake news and some of the topics that we've been kind of covering on here so that's one for your podcast app wherever it is that you are listening to us and that is it for this month's show so thanks so much if you are in your podcast app while you're listening to us you must be somewhere then <laughs> you can do us a favour and we would really love it if you would go and rate and review the show go and leave a star rating in iTunes on SoundCloud or wherever else it is that you get your podcast it really helps a lot to make the show uh, known to more people and if you would like to share about it you can do that on social media as well you can hit us up on Twitter at the media net use the hashtag signal and you can also find each of us on Twitter as well I'm at James Pol I'm at Sam House
0: oh I'm not quite as straightforward as you I'm at Uh, Ruth J Jackson there's always
1: one just to be complicated (laughs) so you can go and find any of us there and leave us your thoughts, comments, reviews we'd love to hear your feedback on the show and like I say leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud and we will uh, love to share some of that feedback with you as well Uh, we continue to pray for you in the media if you're working in media and journalism and you've been faced with some of this difficult stuff that's been going on the past couple of weeks uh, do think about getting in touch and joining the media net we bring together people in order that you can join in a community of journalists or those working in the media content background wherever it is you're coming from uh, to make sure that you are kind of getting the support so we continue to pray for you and if you have got thoughts or you want to share more on that then do get in touch with the show but that leaves it for now for us to wrap up this month on signal from the media net i'm james Poulter. thank you
2: Bye. bye